Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. I wanted to set up this paradigm, this, this kind of dyad between despair and comfort in our mind because we think things and we feel things and sometimes they're the same thing and sometimes they're very different. And so I like to seed an intellectual process that we're going to do for a few minutes, right? Not, not hardcore, but an intellectual process. Uh, were there not enough sheets? Yeah, a few? Right uh, Nico, you want? Again, I always love underestimating how many people are going to show up something. Um, I like seeding um, an intellectual process with something more, um, more primal, which is what goes on in our minds and hearts pre, before the notion of, of a direct study. And despair and comfort is exactly the fulcrum that we're in in the Jewish calendar right now. For three weeks, we were leading up to Tisha B'Av, which was now at this point nine days ago. Nine days ago? Two Thursdays ago. And the Haftarot, which are the part of our liturgy that in standard synagogues get the least amount of attention. Haftarah, it gets gets highlighted at a Barabbat mitzvah and then never paid attention to or very infrequently. And, uh, you know, what percentage of rabbis or lay people's drashas are on? Unless you happen to be in where two members of the community fanatically devoted <laughs> to elucidating the Haftarah with the Haftarah, haf, haftara, ha, how do you pronounce it? Thora. Haftarah plethora. <laughs> plethora. So Larry and uh, Rick have been doing a podcast. Are you st- still active, right? Wow. Um, doing a little podcast on, uh, on the Haftarot. Uh, and they're wonderful. If you want to, they're all uh, uh, archived on our podcast page. But we know much more about Leviticus than Isaiah, and much more about the story of Abraham than the prophecies of Ezekiel. And part of that is because the Torah is our core text. Part of that is because Haftarot are, are inscrutable. They're written in in like Shakespearean Hebrew, as it were, right? like like hard, thick language. The imagery is so uh, dense to get through. Um, and yet, it's our tradition's original ecstatic literature, right? And ri- original high-level literature and, and, and worthy of attention. For three weeks, the Haftarot, hey Jeff, the Haftarot have been um, uh, portending doom as we go to, Haftar- uh, go to Tisha B'Av. Um, that's the despair. And they're hard to read through. They are oppressive to read through, intentionally so. If you ho- know even a little bit of um, biblical Hebrew, there is a heaviness when you listen to that Haftarah being sung. It's almost as if they should be sung to a different trope, and that's a little teaser for what we're going to do in a second. And then we get to the seven Haftarot of Nechemta. Nechemta is the Aramaic word for Nechama, which for pulpit rabbis um, are not Nechemta at all because they're indicating that Rosh Hashanah is coming, right? It's the seven Haftarot between Tisha B'Av and Rosh Hashanah. Um, and that's where we are right now. We're in the second of those Haftarot. Those haftarot of nechama, of comfort, have a tinge of the, of, of the hard stuff in them because they make reference to the sins of the Israel that caused the destruction according to biblical. Um, but they also reference the notion of God collecting us in and bringing comfort um, to us. Um, Matt, do you want a sheet? Can someone on the circle um, share? Or do you have an extra one? Yeah, jo- you can join, Matt. Okay. So, and again, for those who just came in, the reason I'm in a microphone but I'm not being amplified is because we're live streaming this. So this is what's, what's uh, capturing the audio, but we didn't feel the need to 
put a speaker in this room. Okay. We're going to look at the um, few first three verses of the Haftarah for this week, which is the second Haftarah of Nechemta, the second Haftarah of comfort after the three ones of, um, of despair. And there's a typo in the date up top, and I apologize about that. It should be Tavshin Pei Gimel, not Tavshin Pei Kuf. Okay. Um, Vatomer Tzion Azavani Adonai. Zion has said, God has forsaken me. God has left me. Adonai, and it's hard to know if Adonai here is referring to like the Lord or 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 my God, right? It's the same idea, but is it, is it kind of the proper name of God or a descriptive name of God? Shechechani has forgotten me. Uh, there's a comment or a question I want to share in this verse. The comment is, uh, it's very stark. Any time a person or a nation can say of someone or something that they have forsaken me, there's almost no lower pit you can get into, right? Uh, those with Christological... Um, uh, expertise know that this is a version of what the uh, gospel say Jesus said on the cross, right? God, God, why, uh, Father, Father, why have you have forsaken me? To be forsaken is different than being left behind, right? The root azav, ayin, za, ayin zadi, uh, zayin bet, is a very harsh, awful, painful verb. It's different than just to leave. It means to abandon. We're going to say in the Shema Kulenu on the high holidays coming up, um, um, right? As we age, dear God, we have, when we have no more strength left and we need you more and more, don't abandon us. That doesn't just mean don't let us alone for a little bit. Do not abandon us helpless. So this is Zion being personified as a person who's saying that God has abandoned me. And then the question, what aside just from poetic redundancy, which sometimes the text does. What might be the impact of the double image? God has abandoned me. God has forgotten me. And I know this could be clunky, but if you're speaking, I want to send the microphone around because that's the only way the people who are watching this podcast on the, on the uh, live stream will hear it. So um, first one to speak, grab the mic, um, that mic, so that you can be heard, even though it's not being amplified. What's the significance? What's, what's, why double this? And what's the, what's the distinction or what is added on to the image when we say that not only has God forsaken me, God has forgotten me? Yeah, grab it. It feels like uh, forsaken is an active, is a decision to forsake. And that's painful enough. But then to forget means almost a, a passive just removal uh-huh. of a presence in one's mind. So it's a, double, it's a double injury in two, from two different directions. Does one injury to you seem worse than the other? Or they just complement each other? Well, forgetting may be, in a sense, beyond redemption. Uh-huh. Because it's, it's just no longer present uh-huh. in, the, in the mind. For, forsaking, you can, you can undo that. Uh-huh. If it's forgotten, it's gone. A temporary rebuke of being forsaken at least has the opportunity of return, but forgetting, it's hard to remember once you've forgotten. Right. Okay? Remember that as we study the source on the next page. Anyone else? Initial reactions to this doubling of forsaking and rebuking uh, and forgetting? Well, I think it's just a question of massive emphasis. Uh-huh. It's just 
if you just say, I was forgotten, that's mild. If you're forsaken, that's mild. But if you can put them together, it uh-huh. just made your emphasis. Good. So it, it may just be redundancy. Redundancy for the sake of emphasis and not necessarily adding a different um, valence to the experience. Um, let's, let's leave that there. Um, it's very evocative, by the way, of the imagery in the opening of Echa, which is read on Tisha B'Av, right? Lamentations. Yeah, please join, more. You don't have to, but please join. We'll, we'll constantly grow the circle. Um, where Echa begins that Jerusalem, Badad Yoshevet, that the city is, is alone and bereft, right? So it, it's, it makes sense that some of the Haftarot that are going to heal the wound of Tisha B'Av incorporates the loneliness of what Jerusalem felt. Okay, next verse. Hatishkach isha ula. Could a woman ever forget her baby? Rhetorical question, the answer to which would be? No. Meirechem ben bitna, from the womb, right, her own child from her womb. Gam eila tishkachna, the prophet Isaiah here, takes what is an obvious rhetorical question and almost reads it as if it's not rhetorical, even if they were to. You can't imagine a human mother forgetting her baby, but even if she were to, maybe just too hard to be a parent in the situation. Va'anochi lo eshkachecha. I, God, would not. So a human mother, God forbid, might be in a situation where she might reject entirely that which was brought up in her womb, not I, God says, right? Divine rebuke and retribution might seem more painful than human, but divine love is eternal. This bond lasts forever. So already by the the second verse of the Haftarah, we're in the Nechemta part. Right? The first verse was remembering the despair. By the second verse, it, and if, imagine if you're an Israelite hearing this in the 8th century BCE from a prophet Isaiah that you may or may not believe speaks in God's name. You're like, oh, okay. Right? Like, I, I, I have been rejected by friends and family members, but God will always, always take me back. Okay, that feels better. And then the last verse before we do a little bit of listening. Hein al kapayim chakotich. This is now Isaiah saying God's name. On palms, I have engraved you. I Meaning God is saying, I have engraved you, God, on my hand, you people on my hands. Your walls, which I think is evocative of the, the walls of Jerusalem, are, are opposite me always. What ritual does the first half of that verse evoke for anybody? That I have engraved you on my hands? Okay, so from Shira Shirim, right? It's a love notion. What Jewish ritual that many of us engage in, does this remind you of? Tefillin, right? So Tefillin, we are supposed to put God on our hands, right? And Isaiah is saying that God is saying, I, I'm, you're wearing me, I'm wearing you, right? So there's a lot going on in these three verses. And now let's add uh, music to, um, to study. Uh, I don't know if you all met Nico. Nico is our new intern for this year, just back from Israel, right? Just back from Israel, right? Yeah. Starting his fourth year at Ziegler. And Nico is going to sing um, the opening lines of the Haftarah, uh, the first ones that we just um, read, plus a few more. I'm not having you have chumashim in front of you. You can if you want, but I want this to be auditory, to hear what these verses sound like now that we have entered into them a little bit. Again, he's going to go a little bit past what we just read. <laughs> Rechiloishka, Alkapaim, Alkapaim, Zitami, 
You may have heard, again, whatever your Hebrew level is, a lot of ichs, 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 which are all referring to the sec- second person singular feminine, because Isaiah is addressing these words to a personified feminine tzion, right? The, the Jewish people and Jerusalem all kind of uh, turned into one singular feminine identity and entity, and the words of comfort are being addressed, addressed directly to that person. Um, I want to read the, the rest of the source sheet with you pretty quickly because, again, this could take hours, but I don't want it to. Rashi, on the opening line, Vatomer Tzion, and I think Rashi is sensitive here to the fact that this is not only biblical text but liturgical text in the Haftarah, and this is one of the Haftarot of comfort, and yet we're starting with, God, with Zion saying that God has abandoned me. Rashi says, He haitas fura meaning she... She, Zion, thought erroneously that God had forgotten her, but as the Haftarah will go on to say, God had not forgotten her. And now turn the page. This is the commentary of the Malbim, Rabbi Meir Labish Visser, lived in, the, in the, what's now Ukraine in the, I think around the 19th, in the 19th century. Wonderful commentator on all the biblical text. And this is going to be uh, evocative of what Larry said before. He's commenting on the relationship between forgetting uh, sorry, abandoning and forgetting. So I'll read the Hebrew and then we'll, I'll, I'll both translate phrase by phrase in the English. You can also just look at the English if you prefer. Vatomer Tzion. This is the quote from the verse. Zion said, Tzion idan omeret. Zion at that time was saying, the people, the, the city was saying, Azavani Adonai, God has abandoned me. Tzion eina yodat mikoze. It's an interesting phrase trying to personify an entire people who are utterly confused, right? They are ex- experiencing being abandoned by God, but they don't know what's going on. They have no idea what's happening. You don't always know what's happening when you are abandoned by someone that you rely on. And was mourning in that moment, saying, questioning, this is now a quote, how could God forsake me? And not just forsake me because after all, I did sin. I'm aware, I confess, I admit, I've been a naughty nation. I strayed after foreign gods. I didn't do things I was supposed to doing. So, so okay, maybe God will forsake me. But, what, but after God forsake, forsake, forsook me because of my sin, it now feels not only that I've been forsaken, but I don't exist anymore. I'm, I'm forgotten completely. I'm thinking of that notion in, um, in the study of human development and child development that much worse, not that the first thing isn't bad as well, much worse than abuse by a parent is neglect by a parent. Right? God forbid all of those, right? The, the thing that a child um, fears the, the most is to not exist to the parent and, and that one would prefer 
right, to be in the presence of, of, of a mean and unpleasant and terrible parent than to not be remembered at all, right? To, uh, to neglect your child is the highest form of abuse. And so that is um, what the Malbim is saying that the opening line is representing. Okay, yeah, God forsook me because I did bad stuff, but now God has forgotten me? The Eno Zocher Bi'od does not remember me? And this is now the Malbim adding his own words. Ki ha'aziva tiye The letting Israel go for a little bit is because Israel was mucking up and because of sin. But eventually, the one who remembers, God, remembers the one that was abandoned, Israel. The, for, for, um, the forgetting had, has to do with a sense of revulsion. And once you get to a point of revulsion, you're going to choose not to remember at all. The um, couple therapist, John Gottman, Seattle-based couple therapist, consi- uh, founder of the Gottman Institute with his wife, he says that there are certain traits in a relationship that are painful, but you can recover from them, and certain ones you cannot. And he says that when, when you know, all couples argue, all couples disagree, all couples are angry at one another, once it, it descends the level of contempt, if you hold contempt, ongoing contempt for the other relationship, that cannot be healed. That's when azivat ter- turns into shichacha, right? This is now my using um, Malbim's language and grafting it onto Godman, right? You can, you can tolerate a lot of anger and disappointment, but once you allow yourself to dip into contempt, you're going to choose then to put the other in a permanently other category, and you're going to forget them, and you're not going to come back to them. Or you're going to forget the love, and you're not going to come back to the love. So Israel, according to this commentary, is nervous that God has contempt for them accepts why God is angry with them, but nervous that God has contempt for them and is going to forget them completely. And Isaiah is coming along and saying, no, however long this exile lasts, however long my rage lasts and my anger lasts, we're in this for the long term. The Haftarah ends with such wonderful imagery where you feel collected in by God. I want to read it to you in Hebrew and then we're going to sing it two different ways. Um, actually just go to the last verse so the um, it's the last verse in source 4 and this is the end of the Haftarah Ki nicham Adonai Tzion God ultimately comforted Zion saying that I have not forgotten you I was angry but I have not forgotten you Nikam kochorvoteha comfort all the places that were ruined by the destruction Vayasem midbara ke'eden turned what had become a wilderness, a midbar is not just a desert, it's an unforgiving wilderness, into an Aden. What's an Aden? A Garden of Eden, a perfection. Taken, that, taken desolation and turned it into exquisite perfection. The ervata keganonai, and also turned her desert, you may remember the, the Arava, the Arava is one of the southern deserts in Israel, so Arava is a specific desert in Israel, it comes from, the, from a uh, biblical word, meaning an empty place, into God's garden, Sason matseva, may joy and gladness be found in her. Toda, gratitude, bekol zimra, and the voice of joy. Um, you, we, and I didn't really know each other back then, but in the um, end of January two thousand and four, Javi and I were searching for a verse to put on the invitation for the baby naming to Aden's simchat um, bat, because that's the way we do it in our family. That we we find we. Our, our, our names are biblical names, and we find a verse to attach to it. Um, 
And so this was the verse that we, we used because uh, our daughter Aiden's name is in here. We translated it liberally, right? Vayasamid Barak Aiden is saying that, you know, God turned a wilderness into the Garden of Eden. And we, I think we translated it on the, um, on the baby naming invitation as God has made an Aiden out of nothing, you know, uh, it, it worked better for the moment than it did as a translation of the verse, but this, um, this verse will always speak to me for that reason, okay? So we're in the exact opposite place we were in the beginning of the Haftarah. And the people who crafted the Haftarah, which again, Isaiah 68 chapters, something like that, chose very carefully, begin with utter despair, and we end where we can't possibly imagine a more beautiful relationship with God. We're going to do the following two things. I'm going to have Nico... Um, sing the, f- the first verse of the Haftarah, which we already, already sang, and the, and the last verse of the Haftarah, which we're going to do right now, in Haftarah Trap, as it is intended when you do this liturgically. And just kind of feel, for the moment, now that you know what the, ver- the words mean, feel what the music is telling you to feel based on, the, on what you're hearing. First and last verse. What's interesting is the same musical mode for two opposite emotional places that the verse are getting to, but it's how we experience the Haftarah, right? We sing, all, for the most part, all of our Haftarot to the same trup. Listen to what happens if I switch it around and do something a little bit subversive, as it were. I'm going to sing the first line of the Haftarah to a different trup altogether, and then the last line Haftarah to yet another different trup, and to see how the experience changes. Vatomer Tzion Hazavani Adonai Sorry, I messed that up actually. Vatomer Tzion Hazavani Adonai Vadonai Shechechani Sung to what trap? Echa, right? Appropriate. And now, if we sing the last verse to an entirely different trap, sometimes it's hard to Switch between them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Esther and Echa are the trups that are most different from one another emotionally and most similar musically, right? Because if you think about the, the comedy tragedy mask, right? Like laughter and tears are the opposites and close cousins and laughter and, and mourning, right? And tears come in, 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 in both ways. And comedy and tragedy rely on one another and despair and comfort as we meditated on are very similar to one another and the opposite ends. We don't sing those verses that way, but it would be interesting if we did. It would be interesting if we kind of iodine traced the emotions of a haftarah and then applied the proper trup to them, right? Because when we sing them all to the haftarah trup, as Nico did so beautifully, it sort of flattens the contours of what the verses are saying, right? And Purim trup is woohoo, right? It's like very jovial and I'm, I'm in a good mood. God is taking care of me, right? God is redeeming me. And Echa trup is I am abandoned and I am forgotten. So it's an interesting reminder that um, how we... 
Um, it, it's why when we pray, when we put different tunes onto, onto different words, it changes the experience of the prayer. It's not just the words. It's also the music around it. Um, I now want to have um, Nico sing the longer section of the end of the Haftarah, just so we can feel like we, we closed it with the proper way it should be sung. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I, it's, it's hard to jump. The human experience has not changed in thousands of years. What I mean is our circumstances have, our reality, our buildings, our technology, and our words. But if you were living in Zion in the 8th century BCE, you had fear, and you had love, and you had despair, and you had longing, and you had comfort, the same way that we do. It's, it's hard to imagine their lives without characterizing them. But to them, their lives weren't a caricature. They were as real as our lives are. And it's amazing that we have brought forward a record of what our people experienced and felt in relationship to God and in relationship to one another, and how they mapped the trajectory from being in the lowest place possible to it turning around and feeling like they were as protected as they could be in their relationship with God. And maybe the most significant emotional thing that can happen to the Jew as he or she goes through these three weeks into the seven weeks is not just to remember, yes, our people have suffered and that we rose like ashes, rose from the ashes like a phoenix, but that turnarounds are possible, that you can go from despair to comfort pretty quickly, which is sometimes hard to remember in despair, that in the course of a couple of verses of Haftarah, you can be in Echatrup, and then you could be in Megillatrup by the end. You could fear that not only you're being punished, but you don't exist anymore to the other, and then you could be at the top of the world. And to remember that when we're at the bottom might be the most significant aspect of hope that there is. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.